Okay, here we go. Starting at verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? Why do we not know what he is talking about? Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. Father, would you open your word to us, Jesus, that we would commune with you. Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts to know you and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, welcome again to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. I'm Richard, and I am the associate pastor here at church, and it is wonderful to be with you here this morning to be able to share God's Word as we continue our series in John's Gospel. And today, as you can tell, we're going to go through the remainder of chapter 16. As Pastor Dustin mentioned last week, this is continuing what we know as the Upper Room Discourse, the discussion that took place in the upper room where the disciples and Jesus had shared the Passover meal, where he had washed their feet, where he was now preparing them for the fact that he was going to leave and they had work to do. And it's the night when he would be betrayed. And I've always been struck by the depth of the desire that Jesus had to spend this night with those closest to him. The last night before he would be betrayed, he would die, he would be raised, but everything was going to now be different. And he wanted to be with them. He wanted to share the meal, give new purpose to it, but he also wanted to really, as I say, be more explicit with them than he had been even over the last three years. You may remember that Judas has left the room by now, and so does the Lee 11 plus Jesus. And while we study these words together briefly this morning, we're going to see a lot of emotion. We're going to see a mix of emotion. We're going to see grief. We're going to see confusion. But we're also going to see clarity and belief of the disciples. Does that reflect, does that uh, resonate with you in your experience with Jesus, those kind of emotions? You know, confusion, misunderstanding, grief but the clarity and the reality of knowing him as Lord and Savior. Well, if you've been with us through, particularly through this uh, study in, in the Gospel of John that we've been in for quite a while now, you'll have seen, like me, this is not the easiest road, but it's the best road, right? So Jesus is definitely going to make a shift here in chapter 16, um, from talking in parables and figurative speech to talking very, very plainly, very, very clearly about what is going to happen next. In no uncertain terms, as chapter 15 rolled into chapter 16 last week, uh, we heard about persecution, didn't we? Those of you who are here or if you watched it on the, on the live stream or YouTube later on, uh, you'll see we were talking about that last week. So the disciples have been told, you're going to be persecuted. And then Jesus turns around and says, and I'm not going to be here. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine just when they, they needed him most, he's saying he's not going to be there. And yet, we're not going to experience this today. And they didn't experience it then in isolation or separation from Jesus. Indeed, they had, and we have, the Holy Spirit. Paul puts it so well in Romans 8, 35 to 39. It almost feels like he's answering exactly what the disciples are feeling at this moment. If, if you want to turn to Romans 8, 35 to 39, we read these words. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here endeth the sermon. See you next week. No. Feels like that sometimes when you read Paul, though, doesn't it? You know, because he just nails it. Why does he nail it? Because he's writing the very words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. But does all of this feel just a little bit more real these days? In these recent days that we're experiencing? Have you felt some form of isolation, of separation from those you love in recent months? Have you gained a taste, just a taste of the persecution that could happen here in the future? Although we've not experienced the kind of persecution that the disciples are going to face or that we see in other parts of the world that we were talking about last week, we should never be complacent enough to think that they will never, ever happen here. With that in mind, as I prepare for today's message, what struck me, what came through very, very clearly was the title and the theme needed to come from the end of our reading of chapter 16 and verse 33. If you look down to verse 33 for a moment, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I, as Jesus, have overcome the world. As Christians, we are not immune from all the world's ills, from all the trials and tribulations of this world. But we certainly experience them differently to those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who has overcome the world. Last week, we were thinking together uh, briefly about Pastor Andrew Brunson, one of our EPC pastors who was imprisoned in Turkey for his faith for nearly two years. I was fortunate enough to hear Andrew speak at our General Assembly just this, this time last year in Colorado, and he went through trials, both ones in a courtroom and ones in a prison cell. He went through tribulation. And yet, ultimately, he was empowered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to have peace during tribulation, which is the title of our message today. And it's the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit in a new and unique way upon the disciples and upon us as believers that allows us to experience peace during tribulation. Now, although Jesus says he's going to be leaving, he says it's going to be for a little while, you can imagine what they're thinking. After three years of being with the very Son of God, all this time, participating in the ministry, seeing him at work, hearing his words, the very thought that any time away from him would be a little strange, a little difficult. Any of you feeling a little strange at the moment? Rhetorical question, really, but, you know, I think we all are, aren't we? Some time away from the physical interaction with the rest of your church family. It's been strange. It's, it's been difficult, I know. We have the online presence. We are so, so thankful. 
We're thankful we're inside and outside today. We're gathered together wherever we might be. But there's something about being in the same room, in the same place, worshipping together that is so vitally important. And some of us have realized, and Doug voiced it a few weeks ago, you know, we've taken it for granted. And we're really now appreciating that. Now, with all of that in mind, I'm going to share with you briefly three ways that we see in our passage of how we experience peace during tribulation. Yes, I'm the typical Presbyterian with three points, okay? Here you go. The first one is that we are assured of peace during tribulation through our relationship with and the work of the Holy Spirit. Our relationship with and, our, and the work of the Holy Spirit. As the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has always been active in the world from the very beginning. And yet now Jesus is promising that he will come in this new and unique way into the lives of the disciples and into the lives of all believers from then on. Verses 5 to 7 of our reading. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. As clearly as he has ever done before, Jesus is telling his disciples he's leaving. He's returning to the Father. And as you can imagine, as we've already said, this is a bit of a blow to the disciples. Been with him for three years. And no doubt, they presumed Jesus was going to be with them a lot longer. And even though he's been telling them for some time what was really going to happen, that he was going to die, that he was going to be raised, that he was going away, but now he's getting very, very specific. really wish I wouldn't use words I can't say. This is going to be the moment, though, when the clarity, when the reality kind of hits, it begins to sink in. Jesus isn't just leaving the building, he's leaving the world, right? Physically. They're sorrowful. sorrowful. Sorrow has filled their hearts. They've just been told they're going to suffer persecution, and the one who's been their strength, <laughs> their shield, everything is going away. However, at the same time, they are not going to be left alone. He's really going to still be with them. And Jesus knows that being alone for any length of time is really not something we were ever designed for. You think all the way back to creation in Genesis 2, 18, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that we should be alone, right? But the reality is that by leaving, Jesus is no longer going to just be restricted to being with them in one place at one time at one moment. By leaving, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be with them everywhere, all the time, all situations. Not just when they're in the temple or in synagogue or when they're praying or when they're sharing a meal with each other. But every moment of every time, in every place, in every way. And that's our experience too. 
So how does the work of the Holy Spirit help us to experience peace during tribulation? Well, the verses that follow really talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in two ways. They talk about his work in the world, and they talk about the work in the believer. So let's look at that briefly together. Verses 8 to 11, firstly, uh, his work in relation to the world. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So firstly, by identifying, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That, those are the three things. So sin here, clearly, fundamental definition of sin is not believing in Jesus. In not applying his word to our lives. Something that's very important to us, but the world seems to negate and say, well, that doesn't even matter. We don't even see that as an issue. And yet the Holy Spirit is there saying, this is the fundamental issue. It means literally everything to us. I know I have close family members, friends that I am praying realize that's the main issue in their lives. And I'm sure you've got people like that too. And we've all been there. Linked to this, the Holy Spirit points to the reality, the the real righteousness, righteousness being right with God only ever comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. To be right with God, you have to be through Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make ourselves righteous. And we're told again in Romans, Paul's going to preach again, right? This time in chapter 3, 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then judgment. That the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged, found guilty, sentenced, defeated at the cross. Satan is a defeated foe, but we're still battling with him. The war might be won, but the battles are raging. And the question has to be, how do we battle? We battle in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, here are echoes of verse 33. But take heart, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Then we see the work of the Holy Spirit in Uh, believers' lives. Because our relationship with the Holy Spirit is one when we are continually learning. Verses 12 and 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he declares to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit guides us as believers into all truth, the truth. 
He does this through the word of God, both written and living. And although that means that some of these things will be new to us, it actually means they've already been there the whole time. They're already in Scripture. The Holy Spirit, while speaking truth to our hearts in our lives, is not in any way going to contradict what God has said in his word. There is no plot twist coming at the 99th minute of the movie. The disciples are beginning to experience this because Jesus is not saying anything new. He's just clarifying what he's already been saying and already been working towards. It's like when you dig down into God's word and seeing what was always there, even if you've read a passage a hundred times, right? Anybody? Dustin, wherever you are, they're not amening for me either. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, but it's also, it's like when you have somebody in your life, and I hope you've got somebody like this in your life that can speak truth to you, yeah? Can actually uh, point things out to you, and sometimes uh, you're not ready to hear those things. You're not ready to admit that you're doing these things or saying these things or feeling this way, but somebody has been put in your life that you've allowed close enough that God has put into your life, and I dare say the Holy Spirit's involved in all of this as well, that they can say things and make observations that even sometimes hurt at first. Not because they're intending to do that. They're not intending to hurt you, but as I say, you're not, you're not really ready to hear them, but God needs you to hear those things, right? I know it's happened with me. Have you got somebody in your life that says, and you believe, they know you better than you know yourself? I hope so. Well, ramp that up exponentially, and that's how God knows you, okay? Without a shadow of a doubt. He knows everything. As, as believers, Holy Spirit lives within us. How amazing is that? And I'm sure, like me, you know when God is speaking to your heart. He's speaking truth. And it's not what necessarily what you want it to be. It's not necessarily what you think it should be. But it's God's truth. And it's the best thing for us. And that's when we experience peace in the midst of tribulation. Not just the calm spirit or the ability to endure, although those are important, but the knowledge that things are not right but the God is in charge and he's putting them right. Okay. Holy Spirit also talks to us about things that are to come. Now, I am not going down a track of, the, of Revelation and everything that's said there. It's pretty cool. Read it. But the main overarching thing of that in Revelation, when we think of future things, is that God wins, right? And God is glorified. That's the important things to hold Onto. All the other things are interesting and important too, but that's the main thrust. So the Holy Spirit is not telling us things that are to come in the sense of uh, gazing into a crystal ball and fortune telling and guesswork. He's telling us what the plan has been all the way along, right? Here's an example for you. I'm sure everybody in this room has lost a loved one. And if you've known that loved one is a believer, there is a peace that transcends what's going on. And it's very often exhibited by that loved one as they pass. 
as they come up towards being with Jesus because they know that's where they're going. And for us, left behind, often we're the ones that struggle, even if we've got faith and trust in Jesus just the same because it shows the depth of the relationship with the person that we've lost. Well, we haven't lost them. We know where they are, right? It's a lot harder when we don't know about someone's faith. That's true. But even then, we can rely on God for the peace during that time. But here's what we can be dependent for the Holy Spirit to talk about of the future when it comes to that, that there is heaven. We will be united with Jesus and with other believers without a shadow of a doubt. And then the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with Father and Son, verses 14 and 15, talk about that. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Because it's all about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity at work. Again, the triune God. If you're, if you're making a Trinity sign every time you see the Trinity in the Bible, here's one for sure. And the people that say the Trinity is not in the Bible, I want to assure you, it is all over the place. Talks about that unity that we can experience as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you to my wife. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, that's the unity that we can experience. Now, here's a little aside. Here's your homework. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 17. It talks a lot about unity. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. Many of you probably know it well. But I'm going to ask you to seriously commit with me to read chapter 17 this week. Because next week, I'm going to talk through chapter 17 in about 30 minutes. So I really want us to all be prepared. So whether you're here in the room, outside, online, chapter 17 next week, read it at least once. And if you're really up to it, read it once a day, okay? And we'll get into it next week. Okay, the second way, these second two points are quicker, I promise. Um, the second way that we're assured of peace during tribulation is because of the plan and purpose of God because of the plan and purpose of God. We looked at this a little bit already, but it's, it's developed more as we continue. Verses 16 to 24. I'm not going to read them right now, but look at those verses as we think of these things. The disciples are sorrowful. That's what we see in those verses. Because they're hearing of Jesus' departure. They're hearing of Jesus saying, I'm going to be gone for a little while. You're not going to see, in a little while, you're not going to see me. And then in a little while, you're going to see me. And they're all confused. What does a little while really mean? Now, if you heard the words, a little while, I'm going away for a little while, what do you think? Do you think of a long weekend? Do you think of maybe a week or a month? Or perhaps you think of a year? Um, it's all relative, really, isn't it? A little while. But... I know I've caught myself over the last couple of years as I've been going back and to to Wales, and people say, oh, you're going to Wales? And I say, yes, I'll be back before you even know I've gone. And in some ways, that's been true, but it's, it's also true that you go away. And the disciples have no concept of what a little while means. They do have a concept that they're going to miss him. <laughs> More importantly, however, what they've really missed is the purpose. Now, there's three very quick possibilities of what a little while means here. It could be a little while in the sense of a little while between his death and his resurrection. Remember, in the matter of hours from saying these words to them right here in the upper room, Jesus is going to be betrayed, tried, and killed. And then a few days later, he's going to rise. 
So possibly that's the little while, okay? The most important little while that's ever been in the history of the world because it opened the way to salvation and redemption and reconciliation with God. Does that little while give you peace? Because it does me. During tribulation, during peaceful times, it gives me all the peace in the world, that little while. And yet it can also bring us tribulation in its very self. Because have you ever tried sharing that with a non-believer, especially in your family? And perhaps they're refusing to believe it and it causes a bit of tension, a bit of friction. But we still have peace in that because that's the peace that we want for other people, right? Okay, the second idea of a little while is the time between Jesus' ascension. So he's, he's died, he's raised, he's back, he's spent some more time with them. He spent about 40 days with them. And then he leaves. And they have to wait 10 days for the Spirit to come. So it could be that little while. And we all wait. We don't have to wait 10 days because when you become a believer, you get the Holy Spirit. Simple as that. He dwells within us. But sometimes we do have to wait for the purposes of God and the plan of God. And having peace within that time can sometimes be a bit of a struggle. But nevertheless, we have to wait on his timing, not our timing. And that's powerful. Finally, a little while could mean the time of the church from Pentecost until Jesus' return. Now, in anybody's estimation, 2,000 years is probably not a little while in human terms, right? But what's, what's, what's a moment to God, right? We, we know that. But 2,000 years seems like a long time in our estimation, but none of us have 2,000 years on this earth. None of us have to wait 2,000 years to be with Jesus. Because the plan and the purpose of God is that he will reconcile us to himself during our earthly lifetime, right? So that we can start that eternity, that life with him right now. Okay, very quickly, our third and final way that we're assured of peace during tribulation is through belief in Jesus Christ, his nature, and victory. As the chapter ends, this is what Jesus is talking about from 25 to 33. He's talking about his nature, who he is. He's talking about his victory. He's talking about overcoming the world. And really that clarity begins to come to the disciples. Jesus assures them that all he has to share has been of the Father, right? It's been of him, it's been of the Father and the Spirit, all one together. In just the last few minutes, probably an hour at the most, Jesus has said to Philip these very words back in John 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You have to remember these chapters happen literally almost in real time. Minutes, hours together in that one evening. It's not just to say that Jesus is like the Father or shares a few characteristics with him or, you know, he's got a bit of a resemblance to his dad, you know. They literally are one. Again, here's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We don't always understand it. We can't explain it, but we know it to be true. And it's so important to our faith. However, even though the disciples begin to understand this, they confess Jesus is Lord, they, they say, ah, you're not talking in figurative speech anymore, we, we get it. 
Nobody needs to ask you questions. You know it. And yet Jesus says, you're going to be scared. You're going to leave me. I'm going to be alone. But I'm not. <laughs> you're going to leave me alone, but I'm going to be with the Father. However, remember one important thing in that. Jesus was alone at a moment. Moment of his death upon the cross. Father, Father, you know, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the very thing he came to save us from. Separation from God the Father. We don't have to experience that if we believe in Jesus. If we accept the gift that was paid for at an incredible price. This is the God that we believe in, that we trust in, that we relate to, that we have peace through tribulation with. Along with the disciples, we can believe that Jesus not only came from God, but is God. Does that sound familiar, by the way? If you go back all the way to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The very purpose of Jesus coming was so that we could know the truth and that we could be reconciled to God. Through his victory on the cross, his glorious resurrection, we can have peace at all times, especially during tribulation. Then we can take heart because we have a Lord and Savior who has overcome the world. If you know that, be reminded of it today. If you don't, wherever you are, grasp hold of it. Don't wait. Trust in Jesus. And begin a life worth living and have peace at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are, what you have done, what you are doing. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name.